Guitar Villains is brought to you by American Musical Supply. Just visit AmericanMusical.com for your unique coupon code. This is just for listeners of Guitar Villains. Anything you need, whether it's picks, guitar strings, cables, a capo, all those small little accessories, all the way up to the big stuff like a new guitar, an amp, all the gear you could ever want is at American Musical Supply. They also have no interest financing, so you can play now, pay later. Use the link in the description for your coupon code to use on your next gear purchase. Thanks to American Musical Supply for sponsoring Guitar Villains. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to episode three of season two of Guitar Villains. Today's guest is Andy Timmons, the guitar player's guitar player, or just an amazing guitar player. You be the judge. I think it's both, and I think this guy might be one of the nicest people I've ever had the privilege to chat with about music and life in general. Andy has a lot of great advice that spans the musical spectrum and can apply to everyday life. He starts off with maybe one of the most interesting, amazing musical moments ever caught on camera. Let's get into it. Guitar villains, Andy Timmons. Welcome to Guitar Villains, the show where we deconstruct and decode the guitar. And Andy, I I want to give you, the people a little story right out of the gate to enjoy. Okay. I have a video here of a live show in Dallas, Texas, and Steve Vai is playing the guitar and he walks down from the stage into the crowd. <laughs> You're already laughing. And the sudden yeah. all of a sudden his eyes light up and uh, the camera pans over and there's you standing there in the crowd. He's like in the front row and the band is still playing. Steve takes off his guitar and hands it over to you and you immediately start wailing a crazy guitar solo <laughs> off the cuff. There's few people in the world. You might actually be the only one uh, who could take Steve Vai's guitar from him during a show. And it looks like you're having a great time. Well, it, it, it's funny because well, I've known Steve for a long time. Um, we first met actually in 1988, really early on. I just finished my first instrumental track called It's Getting Better. And he was in town with David Lee Roth. And uh, the studio where I recorded my track, um, he had hired out to do an edit for a, a song called Damn Good Times that was uh, going to be a single for for David Lee Roth. And the studio was like, man, Steve Vai's going to be here. You know, come come meet him, you know, like on the down low. And that's what we met initially then. And then uh, them th- when, I jo- when I joined Ibanez, which was been 1991, then I started seeing him, of course, at, at different Ibanez functions and then, you know, getting to know him and playing together, a, you know, a few times. Mm-hmm. So then when they started doing G3, every time they would come to Dallas, I was very honored that they would, you know, you know, invite me to come sit in and, and play, which is, as anybody out there would 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 think is pretty daunting to come on stage after after Satriani and Vi and, and you know the first one was Eric Johnson have completely annihilated all things that are possible on the guitar. <laughs> what are you gonna play? You know at the encore, right? Mm-hmm. So I've I've had lots of experience and great times with Steve. And of course, you know when when he started his favorite nations label, I was one of the first guys that he approached about being a part of it. So we we have a lengthy relationship. So the, the video that you mentioned, he was he was doing uh, I think it was the anniversary of uh, Passion Warfare maybe. 
And it was quite a, it was a more than usual production. He says, man, please come to the show. But, you know, it's not going to be, you know, the best situation for you to play, but come hang and we'll, and we'll, I'll see you after the show. Right. So, okay, great. I'm there with my wife and my, my other best buddy, a woman named Sylvia. Right. And so the show had been pretty lengthy, maybe going on two and a half hours. So there was a, it was a, a song and we kind of thought, well, the show's about to wrap up. They went to the restroom to go freshen up because we're going to go say hi to Steve. Right. My wife goes, hold my water. I'll be right back. Right. Well, then all of a sudden here comes Steve wandering off the stage. He's got his wireless. Thomas is behind him, you know, his, <laughs> yeah. his tech. And he, yeah. They're kind of clearing the way and he's strolling around. Now he knew I was there, but he had no idea where I was sitting. He couldn't have possibly known where in the crowd. Right. And so it's because it was late, some people had left and he walks down and, and, and like like you say, fortunately, somebody had their cell phone. Oh, I say somebody. The entire crowd had their cell phones right, out, right. right? Because that's what we do now. So you see you see the look on Steve's face when he sees me. It's complete surprise. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm – there you are. And the the beautiful thing about it is that he doesn't even – there's not even a thought. It's it's this immediate – It's first instinct. Here's my, here's my guitar. And if you, if, you look at, if you look at the video, you can see him trying to hand me his pick. I was gonna say that's like the funniest part is he's gonna, he's trying to hand you a pick and you're already going. <laughs> are you like, like are you kidding classic me? Classic guitar if, player. If, if, if you're at a gig and you don't have a pick in your pocket just in case, <laughs> you're not you're not you're not you're not visualizing well enough because I've been I've been to lots of shows where I wasn't planning on playing but somehow I end up on stage right. So it's, I don't know if it's visualization or just that strong desire of man I wish and it was happening during that concert because he had a couple of moments. In the show that he had, he had a pre-record of of Satriani and a pre-record of, of, of John Petrucci, where they kind of jammed along with Steve virtually mm. via a, a pre-recorded segment, right? And I was like, man, I want to play, you yeah. know. And inside my head, I was like, and and for, so for that to happen, it was just kind of this magical. You couldn't you couldn't try to plan it. It just it just happened. Yeah. And anyway, but uh, that's funny you bring that up because it's a very fond a very fond memory. But it speaks volumes about Steve how. How selfless he can be, you know. Indeed, he, he's, like without thinking, there he just hands me his guitar. And anyway, what are you gonna do? Just try, you just try to play a few licks. And yeah, do the best a, you from can. what I could hear, it sounded good. And there's a reason I brought it up, uh, not okay. only because I think you know it's one of the coolest musical moments I've ever seen, but <laughs> oh, I want to ask you. There's this feeling of stage fright or fear that I think right. sometimes afflicts guitar players in the sure. earlier stages of their playing or later stages, depending on. How much no, experience sure. you get, um, yeah. whether that's like playing to a crowd or a, a guitar store, or even like family and friends. And you can sometimes that's like the most, that's the most terrifying. Yeah. Like you lock up. Right. <laughs> it's like I've never played guitar before. What, what's going on? Do you have uh, you obviously know this feeling at some point you had to grind through it. What is the, the key to getting through that kind of nervousness? That's, that that's a great question. And there's lots of levels to that because I was you know, when I first started playing. My first gig was my own eighth grade graduation dance. So I was thirteen. I got I got in a, in a power trio with two older guys, and they had they had this gig lined up, and it was actually my own eighth grade graduation dance. So horribly, I mean, just terribly shy, really. You know, still still to a degree, but um, I just remember just being completely terrified. Here's here's a my entire you know circle of people that i grew up with for the past eight years and it's my first gig and i remember just had my back turned most of the time fiddling with my amplifier yeah. you know, anything to not face the crowd right but continuing on with those players i, I was in a bit from that point I'd, I'd been in a band ever since never not been in a band so so by the age of 15 or so 
you know, uh, we were playing in bars and gigging regularly. So it really, it really became a, a situation where, you know, the more experience I got, I learned how to channel that, that anxiousness and that nervousness. And what that is, that's just, it's a good thing because it's, it means you really want to do well. You know, you don't want, you don't want to let yourself down. You don't want to let your bandmates down. You don't want to let the audience down. You know, there's the fear, some of that, some of that is good. It means that you want to, you want to really do well. And so don't lose that, hold on to that. But then you have to learn how to channel it into a positive thing. And so for me, it became an energy, sometimes maybe a bit too hyper or nervous, but, you know, I I just learned, but I, I was, I was very, very fortunate that I had, these older older people that I was in a band with that had gigs, so I was, you know, three three four nights a week from a young age, I was getting that experience, and so the 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 nervousness and the the you know the anxiousness for me still doesn't it doesn't go away. It's every gig. It doesn't matter how big or or how small. I want to do well. I want you know I I I put that pressure on myself. Nobody's telling me hey we're expecting this very high level it starts with me and that's i think for all of us that's that's a defining factor with you know how you how you treat anything in your life how much how much pressure you put on yourself to to want to do better when nobody's there to tell you to do it you know there has to be that that passion and that um that that desire to really work you know um, but I, but I, again, there's like I said, there's so many levels to that. There's some people that get so nervous that it can be debilitating. Mm-hmm. So I mean, sometimes just facing those fears and trying to put yourself in situations where you have to address it and you have to kind of get through it. I've always found that uh, playing in the mirror that was like my big revelation. Looking at wow. myself um, that way, okay. it's like somebody's watching. I would always practice in front of the mirror. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, what you said is, is I think really the big takeaway here is it happens to everybody. It's not just, oh man, and, and I, it's like, and it's also something that's healthy. So like it, the, it's yes. about how you channel that, that excitement. Yeah. I, I, and again, everybody's, you know, psychological makeup is different. You know, we all, we all filter things and process things very differently, but, and so you might, you might find some some people that seem very overly confident, but I would I would imagine deep down somewhere in there is that insecurity, you know, and that and that and that understanding. And, and part of my thing is like it doesn't matter how well I might have played yesterday or 20, 30 years ago. It's all about right now. You know, that's that's all we have. That's yep. you know. So if I don't sound good right now, none of that in the past matters. It's like, oh, I'm letting myself down, I'm letting other people down. So there's that's always in play that's but that's a that's really a great thing because there's that ongoing pursuit of you know you want to you know you want to live up to what you know you're capable of but you want to hopefully exceed that on a good day you know there's 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 this potential to transcend what your what your known abilities are because that's in, in 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 the process of creating live music there's potential for things could fall apart. Things could totally fold. Yep. And then, you, then you, you learn how to recover from that and hopefully get through it and not be like, oh, I'm going to focus on this bad thing that happened. What can I do to take this elsewhere, right? And sometimes that's where the cool stuff comes in. That's where, you know, it's the happy accidents and, and that's the beauty of live music that, you know, if, if it's if there's room for that type of improvisation. So, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's again, it's, it's, it's going to be unique for each individual uh, what their experience is, but there's, uh, 
there's a lot of so there's two there's two great quotes that come to mind when we're talking about this one and again you know this is a before before internet but hopefully it's hopefully it's somewhat accurate is it's attributed to andre segovia the great classical maestro mm-hmm. and he had a very you know kind of arrogant self-assured student it says you know maestro i never get nervous before i play and, and purportedly segovia you know replied well one day when you have talent, you will. <laughs> oh man! You know, so that was again how accurate this is. Who knows? But the other one, the, the other one that I really love, is uh, is attributed to Pablo Casals, and the the basic idea of the story was maybe he was in his eighties and he was being interviewed later in his life. He was the great uh, virtuoso of the cello, cello yeah. and uh, and the guy that he was interviewing just you know proposed you know maestro. You're, let's just say he was 80 years old. You're 80 years old and you still practice three hours a day. Why? He goes, I'm starting to see some improvement. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, I'm, I'm 57 and that's exactly where I'm at. It's like, okay, it's like you're doing okay, but you've got a long way to go. And it's just uh, really embracing that and realizing you never get there is such an important part of what we do, especially as guitar players. You know, there's so much – there's so much uh, awareness of all these other guys and what how they do what they do um, that it can be overwhelming. But just you just got to realize, okay, well, I just have to bet. I have to be the best me I can be, and as long as I'm learning a little bit every day, I, I really have found later in my life that that's that's a major key to feeling good. You know, I'm I'm, I'm first and foremost a rock guitar player, right? I started off playing Kiss and Rush and Ted Nugent and Foghat and '70s rock and that's my core. But then as I, as I grew as, as a, as a, as a practicing studying musician, jazz became a big part of, of my voice, you know, even though I didn't, I didn't play out a lot as a jazz player, but because I listened so much to Oscar Peterson and and Barney Kessel and Joe Pass and some of the early jazz guys that it really influenced the way that I thought about music, the way I heard music, because so much in jazz, you're really kind of, you're not forced, but you're, it's very, it's handy to be able to navigate chord changes instead of as rock players, we, at least growing up when I grew up, we tended to think things about key center and pentatonics and, and you can make a world of music just from that and, 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 and be amazing. Right. But, but I, I liked, I was hearing rock players that had bits of that, like Lukather and Carlton. Mm-hmm. And then when Stern, when Mike Stern came along, when I saw him on uh, Saturday Night Live, it was 1981, and it was Miles Davis's kind of comeback. He'd, he'd retired for about seven years and came back, and he had this amazing band with Al Foster on drums, Marcus Miller on bass, and Stern on guitar and percussion. And I saw this straggly hippie back there playing a strat. I'm like, what's this guy? I didn't even know who Miles Davis was. I was I was studying jazz, but I was very guitar centric. I thought maybe Miles was the guy with the big cheeks, but of course that's Dizzy Gillespie. Right. But Mike Mike started playing, and it was you know strat into Marshall kind of tone. And I forget what he might have been a twin he was playing through, but he clearly had a distortion box. But it was a Hendrixy tone, but. But there was that vocabulary that I was hearing and all the on all the jazz bebop records, but with that sound. Mm-hmm. And I know that fusion rock fusion guitar had happened before Mike Stern, of course McLaughlin and, and so many guys had played, but there was something about Mike's authenticity as there was a real rock blues vibrato. You know, he had just this great I'm, I'm gonna do a bad impression, but Thank you. 
you know. Really wide, just energetic vibrato, but these chromatic ideas, and it was like, it was an epiphany. I was like, it's like it all kind of came together, and it's like, okay, that's possible. Um, so I even, I mean, I've gotten to know Mike over the years as well, kind of like Steve. We we started running into each other either at uh, NAM shows or, and it was a music camp where we first played together, and I got to sit with my hero and play. You know? Yeah. So we, you know, now when I go to New York, he invites me over and we we play a little bit. But he's doing on, he's doing online um, Skype lessons. So I surprised him. I, I bought a lesson. And, <laughs> That's funny. You know, because he says, man, man, why don't you call me? He's like, I want to, want to, you know, you do, you're giving lessons. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm contributing to my hero. You know. Yeah. And we hung out, and he gave me so much in an hour. I mean, again, it's like he's an encyclopedia of uh, of, of great knowledge. So, but that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm revisiting once again. You know, my my college years of being a student and playing playing jazz standards every morning. That's what I do first thing when I wake up. I get my coffee and sit here and uh, play with the iReal book, which is a great app you can use to, um, you know, pick a standard, play at any key, any tempo, and, and, and practice like that. That sounds so peaceful. I, what's that? That sounds like a peaceful way to, to wake up. It, it is, and, and but it's, it's a great workout at the same time because, again, because all these tunes usually have, you know, there's a lot of chord changes happening, so it gets my fingers going, it gets my brain going, mm-hmm. and... Uh, and even if you know, even if I'm playing rock later in the day or whatever it is of my own music, it's just a great way of of keeping my mind and my and my uh, my fingers kind of going. Awesome, man. And so, like I say, like Pablo Casals, like I'm starting to see some improvement, yeah. little little bits, you know. <laughs> it's finally so, happened. <laughs> it's finally happened. You know, I'm, I'm starting to show, uh, it, you know, potential. Well, we're gonna get a lot into uh, into your your melodic choices in particular, because okay, uh, sure. I, I I definitely with that context, I have some some questions but i want to uh i want to get into your super villain doppelganger because this show is (laughs) called guitar villains and i'm dying to know what you came up with well i i I have to say uh you know i like to compare these villains to the guests of the show and i think you know there's a couple ways i could have gone but when you said the joker i've actually already appointed the joker to Corey wong Okay, uh, but his Joker iteration was uh, the original Batman, the nineteen eighty nine movie with Michael Keaton. Okay, so no, he was I'm Jack a, Nicholson. I'm a Bob, I'm a Bob Keen DC right, Comics right. guy. Yeah. So he was the Jack Nicholson kind of Joker because of the yeah, Prince, okay. the Prince stuff, you know, the the, the funky Prince element. But your okay. your your sixties era is perfect because, from what I know of that particular iteration of the Joker, is he wasn't like a mass murdering psychopath. He was actually like a mischievous prankster and he, he relied on like harmless weapons, like the sneezing powder and uh, the squirting flowers and the non-lethal joy buzzers. And uh, I think you're actually a lot like this from a guitar perspective. You have like unlimited tricks up your sleeve with your combination of like melody technique, overall great feel. And I never know what note you're going to play next, but usually the notes that you do play make me laugh. And I mean that in like the most complimentary way. I'm used to being laughed at. Thank you. Yeah. 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 It's definitely a compliment. Like I just can't believe he hit that note right there. And uh, my, wife, my wife laughs at me, <laughs> my son, uh, you. No. Yep. Yep. It's, it's usually a bend by the way, the, the oh, note. Okay. Yeah. It's usually a bend that the, the, the most bend, hilarious, I'm a guy. the I most like hilarious the... notes you play are bends. Um, 
So okay. we'll we'll get we'll get more into that. But I, yeah, sixties sixties Joker I think is perfect yeah. for you. Cool. So first things first, I want to get into a couple softball lobs. I call this segment burning questions. <laughs> So these are rapid fire questions, as you can tell by the fire. I'm not sure how softball and burning go together, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't question the, the production elements. I can't even. I'm just going to go roll with it. Man. Yeah. So uh, these are these are questions that must be answered, uh, but we don't really know why they must be answered. They just okay. must. So uh, rapid fire questions. You ready? Ready. What gauge pick do you use? One point one four Dunlop Tortex. Jazz three, and it's the most consistent part of my tone since 1984. I've been using the same pick for that many years. Wow. What is the uh, string gauge that you prefer? It is now 10 to 46. I would start off as nines when I was a kid, but graduated to tens. And it can be 11 or 12s on, on certain guitars if it's a jazzier kind of thing. What is your number one guitar currently? Uh, always, always my AT. 100, the original one from 1994. This little guy right here, this little guy. Hello, hello. Hello. Beautiful. Yeah, 1994. What is your number one amp currently? The Mesa Boogie Lone Star. Has been since about 2005. Wonderful. And the last question, what is your favorite guitar pedal? Ooh, Good question. That isn't the JHS Andy Timmons model. I would be a little biased to say my own signature pedal. Um, I mean, the, the the classic Ibanez Tube Screamer is pretty freaking great. If you, had a, if you had a classic vintage amp, a guitar, and that pedal, it's going to be loud, but you're going to get a good tone. <laughs> you're going to have to crank everything up. and Yeah, yeah. That's, that's hard to beat the original Tube Screamer. That's a, that's a great one. Now we're going to move on to Name Those Notes. <laughs> One note. No, I can't. <laughs> this is a, uh, a segment where I'll play you a quick sequence of guitar notes from songs that you've recorded over the years. Uh, okay. And uh, you have to tell me what song those notes come from. So we're going to see how okay. well you, you know your catalog. Self-trivia. Interesting. Indeed. We're going to start with something easy that I think you'll get and things may get progressively harder. Okay. So here is the first batch of notes. <laughs> Well, you're pulling live versions. That's that's that sounds like a bad YouTube video of Electric Gypsy. <laughs> <laughs> ding ding ding. <laughs> so uh, this is from a live performance at a place called Reggie's Music Joint in Chicago. Oh, that's a really that's a really good looking video. I remember somebody. Um, in fact, Mike Dane sent me that because it includes a good bit of his uh, his bass uh, solo piece before that. And so whoever recorded yeah. that night had a really good HD camera. I mean, uh, the sound is what it is. It's 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 the club sound, but uh, that was a, I remember that being a really sharp visual video. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it's such a great uh, recording. Obviously, the recording of Electric Gypsy, but this is yeah. a rare case, and you can agree or not. But mm. in my opinion, this is a rare case where a live performance may have surpassed the greatness of the recording. Yeah, and this doesn't happen often. Like we've seen it a couple right. times with Eric Johnson's Cliffs of Dover in Austin or Johnny Cash. Yeah live at Folsom Prison Blues or Nirvana is about a girl on the MTV Unplugged. It's it's really a sign of a song 
that uh, it's a sign of a song that's truly right in the artist's wheelhouse. Mm. Um, so congrats for being able to like compose a song well, they, like I, that. I, I, I appreciate that. that. And that's always a joy to play. That and Cry For You tend to be highlights for me emotionally just because, you know, as they've grown over the years, you know, but there's still plenty to say. They're, they're, they're different every night, you know, and they, they're each very stretchable. You know, we can yeah. extemporize a bit more than what the original recordings have. So I, I, I love playing those old tunes. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. I, I definitely sure. recommend If you type in Electric Gypsy Andy Timmons, you'll find it. Um, it's a great, great performance. So moving on to the next batch of notes. Yeah, okay, Deliver Us. That's the studio version of Deliver Us, right? Yes, it is. This is my favorite tone of yours. Okay. Uh, It's from the album Resolution. Yes. Can you do a quick geek out of how you describe your perfect guitar tone? Ooh. doesn't have to be this tone in particular. I think this is your, your best recorded tone, but that's just me. Thank, no, no, no. That, and, that's, and that record is unique in, in, the, in the fact that it was all Marshall. Clean, it was all vintage, clean Marshall with a three-knob tube driver and usually an Echoplex uh, with two different, you know, a, set, a different setting on each amp. You know, it's always two amps at, at the same time. Oh. But that was the first recording that we did where it was just one guitar performance, you know. Mm. So, I mean that, so we spent time like, if it's going to be one tone, it better be a damn good tone. So sometimes we take weeks just trying to get the right sound for a certain song, you know. And uh, no, and I'm proud of, you know, I was fortunate to have Mike Dane, you know, at that time working with me, producing and engineering. Um, and he had a home studio, so we could take that kind of time and not be worried about expense. And uh, it just the combination of his taste and my taste, you know, kept we kept pushing each other to drive further to try to improve, improve. And Eric Johnson was, was very much a benchmark, you know, and kind of not wanting to sound like him, but wanting to explore, you know, there's the mythology about all the things that he's gone through to to get great sound. And it's it, and anytime you go down any of the rabbit holes that you might initially chuckle at you you quickly find that oh shit this does matter and it's not just a little difference it's a big difference right Mm -hmm. but that was that that particular the majority of that record it was before i had the lone star but it was uh yeah it was a 69 uh marshall 68 69 uh era marshall super lead in a in a 78 jmp but both running loud and clean tube distortion pedal um and tape echo that was it and 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 w- with the with the idea that we didn't want to have to use any EQ and any mm. any any processing, we wanted to capture it all with the gear and mic placement. That's how that's how we did it. It was so as natural as na- everything was to be as natural as possible, including drums and bass. Well, you nailed it. Nice work. Yeah, thank you, thank you, man. All right, moving on to the next group of notes. Getting a tiny bit more difficult, but I think we're still all right. Here we go. Martin Miller uh, still got the blues. Yes, it is. I didn't reckon. I wouldn't have recognized because I, you know, I, I I saw the video when it came out, but I wouldn't recognize what I play. I recognized the chord changes and when that. That's so it was it was deduction by, yes. by chord change. A, a little bit of ear training for you to to get your <laughs> afternoon blazing through. Um, sure. This seems like uh, 
like walking into a candy store for a guitar player, this particular tune to play over. You got the great band oh. behind you and a blank canvas for like the most expressive Gary Moore-esque bends. Mm-hmm. And uh, Can you talk about bends in particular? Uh, because uh-huh. this is easily yeah. what I consider to be maybe one of your trademarks and something that I preach from my soapbox. Uh, you know, the technique of bending, I just think is easily the most important aspect of guitar playing to develop. And I think yeah. it kind of gets addressed either after the fact or not at all after a lot of other techniques. So can you talk a little yeah. bit about bending? Well, I, it's, it's weird because I never really, I never thought about it when I was just, when I was just, when I was learning, it was just part of what I was hearing. I don't have a guitar plugged in anymore, but I, it was what I was hearing the, the guys playing the basic blues, blues rock doing. And it was just the, you know, the, so I would just imitate what I heard. And so when I got, you know, I, I had all this experience playing at Evansville, Indiana, where I grew up. And when I was, what was I, 19, when I finally transferred down to the University of Miami as a jazz guitar major, you know, all these guys were coming up to me, these really great players that they were more in the, in the jazz world. And, you know, the, the the rock guy wanted to be a jazzer and all the jazz guys wanted to be a rocker, right? We're all, and, yeah. when that, and that was the beauty is that we all hung together and learned from each other. But they were always, man, how do you bend? How do you bend in tune? How do you do that? And I just went... You just you just do it. What 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 what's the problem? You know, I was I, I somehow very naturally developed how I how I do it or how I did it originally. You know, I mean now the more I've gotten in, I've gotten into teaching and, and with my guitar experience site where I'm continually trying to explain you know mm-hmm. how I'm doing, how I'm doing what I'm doing. Disclaimer: I've got a, I went from a guitar tune to four forties. Now this is tuned down a. A half step because my next uh, guitar experience video is going to be Hiroshima from Your Ecstasy, and half of those tunes were tuned down a half step. So my bending may be. I'm sure you'll get by. Dig that tone works tone. bad for being on the on the half step down um so when when i'm when i'm talking about and teaching it the the hardest thing for a lot of players is to to bend a note in tune of course you know you've got to learn how to get strength and when i'm bending you know again this is through having to try to explain something that came natural for many years but but there's a there's a lot of working parts of course you've got your if, if you're going to bend with your ring finger I'm bending on the G string here. Of course, you want to use your other two fingers behind that for strength. You know, so you've got quite a bit of flesh on the string already. But I've got a very narrow neck, and I, you know, I'm not sure if my hand is normal size or whatever. But I will wrap my thumb around for. A so it's adding a bit of strength, but then it's also. You know, I'm, I'm gripping the underside of the neck. It's a bit of tension on the other side of the, the finger as well. So that, what you're doing right there, I want to move on now from the 101 into the expressive elements that you do, which is 
you bend and then you slide will while bending whilst my UK yeah. friends, you bend while he's whilst if you like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but talk about what goes through your mind when you are targeting these intervals and it's usually an anticipation like when, when, you know, kind of yeah. moving from one position, do you think of it positionally? Like I'm going to get up here now and it's going to be a very melodic Avenue to I, reach that it's point. All, it's all it's all in pursuit of of whatever melody that I'm that I'm hearing, mm. and then you know I guess just in that in that nano instance of what whatever processing happens, you know. So I mean, a real common bend for me is that minor third. If I go if I'm in C minor. Bend from that G on the on the G string. I'm bending from the G to the B flat, and then and then um, then I might either you know resolve it back down to the G, or I might I might resolve it like like an implied two five. So bending from the G to B flat, then releasing it at a half step to the A. Up to the the tonic. So so I can give you a quick exercise just to kind of great help get to that point. If you take any you know any just think of any key in any scale. And just kind of bend bend through the scale. So if, let's do an ascending. So bending from the the C, staying in C minor. Just take a C minor uh, Dorian. So a good exercise is, you know, our, our general inclination is everything's got vibrato on it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really difficult to play a note. I mean, we always want to, yeah. we want to do something with it. And there's a nervous energy tendency that, you know, we plug into. Same with bending. You know, because we're part of its insecurity, because I think maybe we're thinking, well, it's not going to be in tune. So if I have a lots of vibrato, I'll surround it, and and that could be a nice sound, you know. But man, for the real dead-on accuracy, practice without vibrato. You know, check with the fret and note. With natural minor. So that's you're right in that it can be it can be one of the most expressive parts of playing. You know, it's like what Jeff Beck does with his his tremolo bar. Mm -hmm. Is it tremolo or vibrato? I don't know what that thing. I've called. Ca I've gotten in trouble for this by people Wham saying, I mean, I uh, uh, "Excuse me, it, don't you know the difference between tremolo and vibrato, idiot?" <laughs> I, uh, well, if, it's never uh, too late to not know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I should just coined a phrase. It's never too late to not know something. Okay, so there I am 57. I don't know. There you go. Um, so but that's a good that's a really good exercise that it's about it's about building strength because mm -hmm. with all these guitar techniques, it's it's really about control. It's having, you know, the the hand strength and the you know, some maturity that comes with experience with being able to you know, this to, to really to really, um, you know, execute the simple things with great quality. 
you know, and that tends to be what separates some of the really great players from cool players, but that that have, you know, a way to go, right? It's just that control of vibrato and just basic techniques, you know, to tuning, you know, overall, overall tuning. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the Tommy Emanuel quote he said to me was, you know, that's what separates the men from the boys. Or the women from the girls, or whatever you, however you want to politically. He, he said the that. same thing. He was actually on this podcast, oh, uh, oh, and, great. and he he talked about tuning perfection and how important it is to him and him and like <laughs> Stevie Ray Vaughan, and it's like that's oh. what separated SRV from Hendrix is the tuning. Neither one is like better than the other, but it's like it's a well, real sound. It, it's it's yeah it's 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 going to be something that even the casual listener won't necessarily quantify, but mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, they'll feel it. They'll know it. You know, it's just a more pleasant thing. I, I, I've known Tommy a bit. I feel like I'm name dropping, but I've, I've had the extreme pleasure of getting to hang and play with Tommy a few times. And uh, he, last time he was in Dallas, he invited me to come to his gig and I got there during his sound check and he invited me. Hey, come, mate, come stand right here, right here. <laughs> and he had his monitors and his AER guitar. Amp. He, he wanted me to hear his tone where he was standing, you know, and it, re- I mean, genuine bump chill bumps right now it was just one of the greatest guitar sounds and a lot of it was how fucking in tune it was yeah and he's playing and i'm yelling at him saying man you've got auto tune in your fingers you know you could just <laughs> but it's true that you know the longer you play you know you you learn how to to to, to cheat things because it's an imperfect instrument you know it um there's all these you know kind of tuning devices and different fretting systems and some of those things some of those things help certain things you know there's yeah. no one there's no one cure-all that i've that i've found but but it's guys like eric johnson you know uh satriani's another guy very in tune i mean i mean obviously a lot of great players that are generally but some and, and tommy's one of them just really take it to a very high level it's very inspiring and then there's somebody like john frusciante who actually mm-hmm. Detunes his G string a little bit to get that perfect triad sound uh, on like uh, under the bridge or something where the recorded version you can't like there's certain chords on the guitar that are inherently out of tune just a little bit and that was one of the uh, I think it was my friend Paul Davids who revealed this in a YouTube video where he actually detuned his G string a little bit to make that chord perfect just for the recording and then he would tune sure. back up, like just to for a compositional. Um, well, no and that's something that, that I, by the time I did the Sgt. Pepper uh, record with my band, it, it really that's when I really learned how how to how to do that and how to be okay with realizing I need to cheat the tuning to make this song work. And it would be you know, and it would normally be you know, maybe one sometimes two strings would have to to go sharper flat to get a commonality of of tuning, you know, and different keys will present different issues. Like you say with the John Frusciante track, that is, that's not surprising. And it's actually probably more common than a lot of people think, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to really ask a lot of players on the level that we're talking about, they would probably speak to, Oh yeah, well I've, I've had to do this and that and that on certain songs. It gets harder live to, to, to spend the time to get it right. Like you will in the studio to yeah. really get the tuning just right. But, you know, you know, in that instance that, well, this is going to be forever and I'm going to try to get it as close as I can. But I remember there being a lot of moments in the Sergeant Pepper recording that, yeah, I, I discovered that out of necessity. Well, that was a fun yeah. tangent, Ben's. 
Um, we have <laughs> we, bending yeah. can take you places, people. I'm well, but you. it is. I mean, it's all about tuning. That's that separates a great soulful bend from something that's just completely cringeworthy. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I've been I've, I've participated in both. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all? I, I should humbly say, you know, it's like I, I still uh, I still do both. Yeah. <laughs> So Equal we, opportunity employer. Yeah, exactly. We have one more uh, batch of notes here in this oh, little boy. segment. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Hold on a second. I have a longer version if you no, no, need no, no, it. No, 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 no. Okay, I've, I've got it. I know what it is. Okay. Crazy Nights by Danger Danger. Yes, it is. <laughs> and this was a really uh, this. So this is from Danger Danger. Your, I would you call it glam metal band from the the eighties? Yeah, well, I guess it's mainly it's called a hair band. But, hair yeah. band, whatever you want to say. Um, I had a lot of fun. I'd never really d- dived into uh, Danger Danger, but it was fun exploring yeah. that music. And uh, you had a pretty <laughs> sweet look back then, man. I mean, you look great <laughs> now too. But uh, go check check out Andy Timmons Danger Danger on Google. Um, quite a. May have been, there may have been some Aquanet involved. <laughs> um, so this performance it's that famous. I pulled, yeah, th- this performance that I pulled, um, I don't know, is this on your platform, the Stage It platform? I think it may have been because you're playing oh, it live. Yeah. It's recent. Okay. And you're playing along with that song, so that's where yeah, I got so this. I had, um, because I didn't have any any tracks from like the studio sessions for the Danger Danger stuff, I played along with it. But it really, I was I was pretty amazed at how many fans were. We're very uh, happy that I did it. In fact, the, the other Danger Danger guys came online and were were part of the festivities. Yeah. So, I, but I had to play along with the original recording. So, what with is the, Stage It? I don't. I okay, haven't, so I stage hadn't it heard is, of that. It's like it's like a like some guys are doing Twitch and some people are doing a variety of different things. It's it's a it's it's a platform that allows uh, artists to go online and and do live streaming gigs. Mm-hmm. You know, some some people do it as simply as sitting on their laptop strumming the acoustic guitar, but I, I've got a, you know, a studio set up where I've got my, my amps in my room, but cabinets in another room. So I've always got a stereo Mesa rig mic'd up with two, two by 12 cabs and all my, all my tracks from all my records. And I just, I've done it. I did 87 staging gigs last year. Wow. Um, th- throughout the, when the pandemic started, I, uh, you know, of course all the tours were being canceled. So what am I going to do? And yeah. I have a friend that's in a band called Bowling for Soup. I know uh, really them. great, great rock band. Yeah, they're they're out of Dallas, and so I was seeing him. Uh, Jarrett Reddick is the singer, and he, I, was, I was seeing him on Facebook doing these staging gigs. You know, I thought, well, I, I so I just I, mean, I just gave him a DM and said, man, show me how to do this. I got to learn how to do this. So it just kind of snowballed. But the the funny thing was, is he the, the gig that I saw him promote said two p.m. U.S. eight p.m. U.K. So I thought he was doing two gigs. That was promoting the same gig, but yeah. the time difference. <laughs> His fan base is UK and US. But in my head, I'm like, well, he's doing two shows a day. That's what I'm going to do. So by being kind of stupid or <laughs> just just misreading misreading the uh, misreading the advert, I decided I'm going to do two shows every Saturday, and I did um, for like I get like I say, 87 gigs, however many in a row that was. Holy hell. Until I until I hit a wall and thought I need to stop doing this for a while. So my first, I've, I've been on a three, four week break, and this coming Saturday will be my first gigs in a month. Oh, right on. So you do them but, every weekend, or what's the schedule? Yeah, I'm doing them every Saturday. So I'll, I'll, I'll go back to doing them every Saturday. So stage it. You just log into stageit.com. You type in Andy Timmons official, and um, you know it's it's pay what you can. People can literally pay a nickel to come to the gig. 
but then there's the, you have the ability to, to tip the artist. So people, it's like when people do uh, Facebook Live and they have a Venmo or something. It's kind of mm-hmm. like a way of doing things like that, but on a proper platform. And I, in a, with the help of my longtime engineer Rob Wexler, um, we've got a, 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 an application called OBS that you're able to really get a really high quality feed. So audio and video are great. Mm-hmm. And uh, people always compliment the sound. I've got a great tone on there. And um, yeah, there's been there's been some people that have come to all like every show. The same fans will just show up, and it, it's turned into a really great community. A lot of friends have been made, you know, just amongst all the different folks that show up. So it's been really gratifying to be, and again, to because we couldn't go out and gig to have a place to to play. And but the 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 thing that really spoiled me was is like you know I get done, I do the two o'clock show. You know, have lunch, prepare for the eight o'clock show, do the eight o'clock show, nine o'clock. I'm like, what's for dinner? I'm, yeah. you know, I'm home. What? Uh, when did you put together that your friend has, was only doing one show and you're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how long it took to figure out, but I was already down the path. So yeah, it might have dawned on me a, a couple of weeks in or whatever. It was like, all right, I'm, I'm already kind of made up. Yeah. I'm like, I'm funny like that. Once I kind of make up my mind, it's kind of hard to deter me from from going down that path. And my wife every now and then because she. Because it, it it can be kind of stressful because each it, you know each Saturday there'll be two different shows it wouldn't be the same show twice largely mm-hmm. so there was that pressure of like okay two different sets of material and trying to present it in the best way I can and triggering tracks and then taking care of lights and video and making sure all the things are streaming properly you know you know what what you deal with to do your podcast you know plus with the added thing of performance you know now I've got to let all that go and just try to play the best I can. Yeah. It's been great to watch artists who are primarily stage, you know, on stage yeah. musicians kind of come into this world that is, sure. uh, and, and how many people like have a newfound understanding and respect for, I, I think it's like actually very, despite all the terrible things right. that have happened in the last year, like right. there's going to be a lot of silver lining that, that, uh, we're able to take from, yeah this when everybody comes back live i just got my first vaccine by the way so i'm hey right, congratulations we're man. going we're making steps forward where, where are you tyler where are you located uh, i live in nashville okay well congrats me yeah I'm, I'm fully vaccinated i got two two pfizers and um yeah rock you know i'm still still i'm gonna still wear the mask i'm gonna be careful you yep. know and, and and respect of other people because i guess even if you're vaccinated you can still carry the virus and Correct. So, you know what i mean so I think there's a lot that we're going to keep learning, but why not be careful? Because we're getting close, man. It's like I'm in Texas, so they they, they took away the mask mandate and they're opening up 100, percent and it feels it feels too soon. But yeah, yeah, I was in the ICU for eight days, so oh, buddy. I'm, I'm an advocate for uh, all the safety measures. But with with, with COVID, yeah, COVID pneumonia oh, actually. Man, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it, it was terrible, but I, I made it through and sure. all good. Um, but good, good, good. but yeah, I mean, to put a bow on that, I just think live music when it does come back, like what yeah. is the first note you're gonna play? When you're, <laughs> is it gonna be like? Oh! It's gonna be loud. I know that <laughs> it's gonna be loud and confident and happy. Yes. Uh, no telling what it's gonna be. A beautiful though. major third. I hope so. Something. <laughs> um, so I want to talk a little <laughs> bit about your uh, your guitar experience website because you and I yeah. actually have a similarity. We both. Okay have a uh, subscription based learning platforms. And I just think that oh, is cool. so odd. Like that is the best way to learn. I think. What because, is your, what is your platform? What, what is yours called? 
Uh, mine's called Guitar Super System. So we can have a battle on who has the cooler uh, name of the core of the site. <laughs> I think yours is pretty good too. Uh, so Guitar Experience, can yeah. you detail? I mean, people know how subscription websites work, but right. what, what would you say are great qualities to have as a teacher? I always love asking educators this because that's how I started was teaching guitar, yeah. and then I got into everything sure. else, okay. but. What do you what do you find is is a great quality of a teacher? I you know, it's hard for me to be objective, but I I, I can I can humbly say that I think I've developed a way of of communicating that's just natural. I, I never have a preconceived script or, you know, I just. I should begin by saying the main feature of my site is that every month there's a new song of the month. I'm going through my entire catalog, and there must be over. There's over probably 36 of my tunes are already fully transcribed. So I do I do a playthrough. You know, I play the song on camera. I've, I put some of those up on, on YouTube, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But then I have mm-hmm. a guy in Brazil that transcribes it. And uh, it's on, you know, regular notation tab, but also in the Guitar Pro format. So people can actually, you know, ha- have the app and play the transcription. So that way I can check it to make sure it's accurate without having to actually physically read the whole thing, which is when it comes to guitar phrasing, it's a very difficult type of reading. You know, it might be the hardest. It, it may, it may be. It's so, um, and then, so, but then along with that, I sit in front of the camera and I talk about every note. I talk about how I composed it, the gear I used, and I go through and explain it. And I, then I play very slowly each phrase and in real time and basically just, I'm sitting with you explaining, you know, how I'm doing what I'm doing. And sometimes, you know, I, I will know exactly what to say about it. Sometimes I'm kind of discovering things in real time. And, and within that, coming up with examples of how to practice these, like I was just talking about the bending. That's a real common thing. Here's how, here's how to strengthen that. Here's how to, to reinforce that. So it's, it's through learning, you know, some people may want to learn the whole song. They may just want to learn a lick or two, but it, it's also become very valuable. And through, through the people that have responded to me of how much they love the way I teach, it's just because, you know, I'm, I'm explaining each of the techniques. So you, whether you learn the whole song or not, there's going to be a lot of information that I'm that I'm getting recorded. That's just about general guitar playing, along with the specific components of whatever song and technique is involved. So and it wasn't something that I, I didn't enjoy teaching when I was younger. I felt it was I don't think I had the confidence. I guess I didn't really think I had that much to offer. But I guess with with more age and experience, and again, some of these things like we you mentioned bending and how so much of it came naturally just because I kept doing it. I didn't no, nobody said here's how you bend, practice this. It's just no, here's a sound, and then I would you know it's like I just had to learn by ear, so it was all ear driven. But now we obviously in an age where it's uh, you know we have the this this ability to share our knowledge in some, some, but some of it's going to have to be me like figuring out a way of explaining something that I developed naturally. But over time, it seems like it comes very naturally to me to explain these things in the way that I do. Um, uh, and I'm just, I, I share everything. I don't hold anything back, you know, completely honest and open. led the way I am in life. You know, I am as a teacher, I think it's like, you know, I, I want to help other people. I genuinely get excited when I see that I've connected with another player and that they're, you know, part part of my thing on stage it is that, but like I said, they have the, the ability to tip you. So the highest tipper gets a, an hour Skype lesson with me for every show that wow. I do. That's awesome. And I remember a, a couple of the early lessons that I had. There's a guy that I still see every week as a student. Um, 
my friend Dennis, and uh, he, was, he was just wanting to know how, how do I play more more melodically. I said, well, learn learn uh, you know uh, uh, me- learn melodies. Obviously, it's kind of obvious, but emulate the singer. Not don't emulate the guitar player. Emulate the singer. Find which who's your favorite singer? Aretha Franklin. Okay, well. So the ne- next week he came back, and this is a guy you know a little older than me, not not a young pup. Um, came back and had Doctor Feelgood note for note along with Aretha's, Aretha's vocal. I was in, I literally welled up with tears because I thought, not only you know did he take my advice, but it it freaking sounded great. You know, I was like, wow, that's really cool. As and as a teacher, you might recognize that not every student's gonna like take to heart everything you say and right. and do the work, but. It's always it's always so gratifying when you, you do make that connection and find that student that the light bulb is on and they're like, yeah, okay, give me give me some more of that. So that's it's gratifying for me to to have a platform to share my life of guitar. You know, that's really really what the site's about. And there's there's other you know there's other bits of me sharing. You know, the folks I've met over time and some of some of my practice tips and things that I'm practicing. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of additional content, but the main focus is on songs of the month. So, um, telemarketer, hello. I thought I had that on silent. My apologies. How rude. No problem. Uh, I, I so was going to say, I think that kind of, uh, that explanation, I think, is exactly the, the meat and potatoes of a great guitar teacher, which is your teaching is musical. It's not just, you know, bland, black and white, off the cuff, like scales or metronome clicking. You know, there's elements of that, but. Being right. able to apply concepts to music immediately, even if the person doesn't right. understand it, they can feel what it's supposed to be like and get excited about it because it's musical. Um, yes. And I think that's a quality of all my favorite teachers and how I try to teach as well is just like, here's yeah. the thing, and this is what it's this is what it does to you, and right. then you can like yeah. kind of break it down a little bit more. And it sounds like that's kind of the way you use it. Yeah, it is. And a lot of that, too, is the note choice, you know, what note you're choosing to play at what time. And we talk a lot about that, too. You know, it's that melodic direction, that voice leading. That's so important to it because that that choice is really what sets apart something that sounds more scalar or black and white or if it's emotional, you know. So combined with the right technique, but the right note at the right time, you know, that's. That also that's that starts to come together in what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, that's and I, I guess I was fortunate that I grew up without a teacher initially because it, I was just playing with records. So it was always it was always musical. It was there wasn't exercises. And when I did start taking lessons, I was 16 and I was already playing professionally. So then when I got the reading lessons and some more of the didactic stuff, well, I, okay, it was cool because I was already playing and have I was always having fun. But I wanted at that point I wanted the knowledge. It wasn't tedious. It was like, oh, mm. this means this means more. This means more knowledge is better. So it's it's got to be fun. It's got to be musical. That's that really is the key to encourage the student. Mm. You know, it's got to be fun for us to do. You know, like I said, what I'm practicing now, it's bringing me great joy to to play some of these West things that I've. It's part of my DNA. I've heard it so much, but now I'm just okay. Now I'm doing the work to figure it out, and it's. It's joyous and it makes makes it makes the process that much more fun to sit there and play along with Wes, you know, note for note, and and try to figure out, you know, always marveling like how the hell did he, you know, and it was all improvised, you know, there was you could hear different performances of the same song go, that, nothing like what he recorded, and it's just as great. Yeah. So it just it gives you some a little bit. You're trying to get into the workings of, the, I call it the I call it the oral act. I did a I did a course for Truefire called Melodic Muse. 
and they, you know, they encouraged me to do something based on melody. And I had, well, I had to come up with a term that explained how I felt about it, which is, you know, our, our melodic direction, our melodic muse is just, it's, 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 it's a combination of all the things that we've taken in that we've loved and we've either just absorbed that we've loved or that we've learned. But it's like a library. It's like, you know, if I hear this kind of couple of notes together, there's something about my experience that makes me, it's already anticipating where I would like it to go. It's kind of informing me because of that collection of experiences. And so I said, what is that? It's not, the, it's not, it's not intelligence, but it's like the, the, the intelligence of the ear. So I came up with oralec instead of intellect. And I like it. I think, I think that's a good way of saying it. And it's what I talked about a lot with, uh, how did Lennon and McCartney become such great writers? Well, they learned a shit ton of songs. They were playing eight hours a night in Hamburg and ran, ran out of three chord, uh, Chuck Berry and Buddy Holly pretty quickly. And they were, so they started learning show tunes, just stuff they heard, you know, parents, stuff from their parents' record collection till there was you, you know, no, there was no rock bands playing. You know, all these yeah. you know, chromatic passing chords and two fives modulations, you know, all these things. And so when it came time to make their own music, they had this library. So sometimes there was verbatim lifting and stealing, but you know, the, the melodic ears, well, both Lennon and McCartney had great melodic ears and, you know, it wasn't verbatim, you know, taking of things, but it was because they had all this experience and having been moved by certain things. And then there they would appear, you know, in some, some fashion that it becomes their own, you know, it becomes their own thing. Um, totally. So that's, uh, that's, that's a big part of the deal is, is that is the, the note choice, you know, what you choose to play and when, you know? So Andy, finally ah. to loop in your guitar, <laughs> supervillain alter ego. <laughs> I can't wait. I have one final question for you. Okay. All right. I really want to channel that villainous energy here. Okay. This is your chance to say, your piece. What do you believe about the guitar that most guitar players might think was crazy? What do I believe about the guitar? This could be that, a hard, it could be like a hard truth that guitar players need to hear or something that you know and others don't or a misconception about the instrument or whatever you want. Do you believe I, about the guitar or guitar playing? Others might not. I, I think, I, I, I believe we're just scratching the surface. There's people that think that you know, rock is dead and everything's been done. And I think that's complete crap. I think that what Jeff Beck has done, what Pat Metheny has done to a degree, what is what is possible on the instrument is just, it, we're just beginning to get there. The level of expression that I think is is possible with the instrument, I think is going to, is profound and, and it has a long way to go. And that's the way I, that's the way I feel about my playing. You know, I know what I want to express, but I don't have the technique to do it yet. You know, and you're going to convey and, that on your next album, right? I'm I'm going to convey it on my next note somehow. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be. It's like, I, I I talk about Jeff Beck a lot because he started with the Yardbirds and Shapes of Things is one of the greatest rock solos ever. He could have stopped then, but then he did the Jeff Beck group, which was kind of the template for Led Zeppelin. And if you look at the history, and then you know the stuff with Jan Hammer, I mean, he continued to grow and never repeated himself. And then he does a record like Emotion and Commotion and captures things that I thought were possible to capture in a recording, that feeling, you know, that I'd witnessed live millions of times, 
but never heard a caption and he captured it. So, you know, and he's not stopping. I just, I think that's such inspiration. And um, I don't know, that's, I, I, whether that's something that nobody else believes, I, I don't know that, but that's, that's something that I, it's in my heart. And I, I kind of feel to be true that we've got a long way to go. Why not, why not keep pushing the envelope? And there is, there's so many great players that are doing insane things, you know, <laughs> you just, just browse the internet and you see it on Instagram and, so it's then it's down to just making great music and making some music that means something, you know. So really wanting to 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 develop the technique of of expressing yourself, whatever it may be. It may be technical virtuosity, which can mean speed and and insane abilities, but it could also mean, you know, the the ear and the and the in the heart and soul that that makes some music that, that again really means something to to some people. So those those are my goals, you know. I, of course, I want I want the insane technique. I may never get it, but I'm going to keep practicing. Right? It's pretty it's, good but, where but it, it is. But it but it but it helps it helps me be the best me I can be, you know. Yeah. And that that's another thing. It took a long time to realize that we got to be comfortable with ourselves and realize that well, I'm not going to be like that guy. Or I can't play like I can't play like Jennifer Batten, you know. I can't play like like Josh Meter, you know, these incredible players, but I, but I, I can play like me. And so why not, why don't I honor, honor whatever gift I have and, and do the best I can with what I got, you know, and, and keep try keep pushing that as far as I can go. Maybe the best advice of the whole show is right there. Hey, end on a high note. Yeah. Man, end on a high note. And I got jingles just thinking about it. <laughs> so, uh, so Andy, <laughs> as we wind down here, uh, I want to thank you for, taking your time to be on guitar villains it's been a, a great privilege to, to talk with you and Likewise, share insights um i look forward to seeing what treacherous plots you devise next in your musical endeavors <laughs> well a lot, lots to come i've got a record that i've it's already recorded i uh, josh smith a great friend of mine a great blues player oh yeah produced produced a record and at his studio with me uh, right before covid back in january and so that's going to come out later this is probably mid- middle of the year Really fun record, a little different than what I normally do, and uh, it's, it sounds it sounds killer. So Look that'll be coming out. So new new stuff soon. I've got that Red Coach record with the Bissonette Brothers. It's if you like fusiony, cool pop, funky Latin stuff. Beautiful. Good, I can, I'm gonna Red listen Coach to all of it. It's all Red going Coach. in the list. Go on the list, man. <laughs> so that's all the plugs I got. So keep keep playing and have fun, man. But thanks for thanks for the interview. I enjoyed this. It's really really fun to talk to you.